That's me, nigga. You are now rocking with the super califragilistic dope shit. Your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast, featuring on the verge artists, established influencers, and people from all walks of life doing dope shit. With your host Emiliano Style. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is super califragilistic dope shit. Today I have a very special guest. And we just celebrated our anniversary. <laughs> Facebook anniversary. <laughs> our Facebook anniversary. And it was, was how long? I think nine. Really? I think it was nine. Nine. It's our ninth year Facebook anniversary. Yeah. And Timby Banks is her name. Timby was born in Harlem, New York. Storytelling has been a part of Timmy Bakes' DNA since she can remember. She attended, what was it, Forella? How you say the first name? Fiorello. Fiorello. You didn't know that I didn't go to that school. <laughs> Fiorello <laughs> LaGuardia High School and majored in theater and recently received her MFA from USC's film and TV production program. Timby's writing credits include Only Light, a USC advanced project, which won Best Screenplay at the LA Shorts Festival. Her film Doors, which she wrote and directed, is currently on the festival circuit and has screened at Martha's Vineyard Film Festival, the Pan-African Film Festival, and several others. It was nominated for Best Student Film at the 2016 Bronlands Film Festival. She was featured on We For She's 2016 list of the best pilots written by women for the script Unique State of Mind, which she co-wrote with her writing partner, Roche Jeffrey. She is currently a staff writer on Step Up, the series for YouTube Red. Shouts out to Timby Banks. Hello. What up, Timby? How are you? I am awesome. Good. Awesome. Good. Now, what I do, the first segment of this interview for mm-hmm. this podcast, is I do a rapid fire segment. So I just give you an option of two things. Mm-hmm. And just tell me which one you prefer. Okay. No explanation. Oh, man. Just either or. Okay. You ready? Yes. Martin or Malcolm? Malcolm. Rihanna or Beyonce? Beyonce. Creation or evolution? Evolution. Android or Apple? Apple. Brutal honesty or white lies? Brutal honesty. Cameron or Mace? Cameron. In the light or in the dark? Always in the light. Career or family? Career. Marriage or long-term commitment? Long-term commitment. Love Jones or loving basketball? Love Jones. Kobe or LeBron? LeBron. Nike or Adidas? Nike. Marvin or Stevie? Oh, man. That's horrible. That's horrible. (laughs) I'll say Stevie. Tyler Perry or Lee Daniels? (laughs) Lee Daniels. Sugar on grits or salt on grits? Oh my gosh, this should not be an option. It's salt, <laughs> and it will always be salt. And whoever says different is an idiot. Damn. HBO or Showtime? HBO. The Wire or Breaking Bad? The Wire. 
Autumn or summer. Autumn. All right, that's it. That's the rapid fire. Oh, some of those were unfair. I met Tim B for the first time in Harlem. Yes. At a it was a Cassandra. It was Cassandra. Yes. It was Cassandra party. It was a house party. Yeah. And then since then we have been cool. We all we just continue to cross paths. Mm-hmm. Whether it was damn, it was at Essence. Yes. At and just in all over the Spain. place in Spain. But we didn't really cross paths in Spain. Yeah. That's a whole nother story. You were allegedly in Spain. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. So basically what I'm trying to do with this podcast is I'm trying to get some insight from all these type of people who have um variate uh, a variation of experiences mm-hmm. in their fields or some of them have like you have millions of followers on Instagram. Okay, no millions, <laughs> not millions. And it's up but it's like regardless of what your following is on social media, it doesn't mean that one person's uh, like views on whatever or perspective is not value, more valued than someone else's or whatever mm-hmm. and then I like to different stages of I like to interview people at different stages of their career or something Yes. so it's like if you're working on a film next year and then or let's say 10 years like mm-hmm. This interview was like, oh wow, this this is classic interview with Timby before she did this really dope, I mean, really a uh, prominent project or whatever, whatever. Well, that's pressure. I hope I. I mean, there'll <laughs> be something, you know. Yeah, so that's one of, and then what also encouraged me is because uh, Mahershala Ali, uh-huh. when he was nominated for Oscar, it was this one podcast, and they went back in their archives uh-huh. and they released like. Uh, uh, interview with him uh-huh. that it was like, that they didn't so they was like oh now he's he's nominated for an Oscar so now let's drop this old interview with him and his wife like did an interview oh my god so it was like really dope but I, I don't know but this this that's why I want to do it and um, just because I, I I feel I'm grateful and privileged to know dope people or talented people such as yourself and I just want to uh, to you know for you to drop some knowledge or some gems or your experience or insight and it can help encourage other people and then like a lot of people won't actually meet you mm-hmm. so this is an opportunity I want them to listen to this podcast to feel like they caught up with an old friend oh you know what I'm saying even I though they never meet people you. to feel that way about me but there it is yeah alright so first question is what's the dopest thing that you've done to this point? Yeah, uh, it probably is like something that happened a long time ago that I still reflect upon and I'm still so appreciative and grateful for the opportunity and that was studying abroad in South Africa Um, and probably I'm still looking back on that and saying that was like the dopest thing is because I haven't quite um, been able to travel and explore like that since and how long were you in South Africa? So I was in South Africa in I believe it was 2004. Okay. Yeah, I was in college. Whoa, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was studying abroad, and uh, I was in this small town called Peter Maritzburg. It was such a small, like, boring town. It, mm. Like. 
uh, we didn't have much to do. It was about 45 minutes away from Durban. Um, and we studied at the University of Natal, my friends and I. And it was the most amazing experience ever because living in a different country is so eye-opening and so rewarding. And you don't really get a chance when you're an adult because you have to work and pay bills and take care of responsibilities. So to be able to live somewhere and like your only responsibility is like waking up, going to class, and that's really it, you know, Um, and doing that for six months. It allows you to just like absorb so much culture and learn a lot about yourself as a human being, as an American. Um, And I always talk to people, students who are in college or about to go to college, and I say, when you go to college, if you don't do anything else, try, try, try your hardest to see what study abroad programs are offered and do it because it'll be one of the only times in your life, maybe guaranteed that you'll be able to travel like that and you want to do that to be a better person. So. Yeah, that's, that's some advice I wish I got. I mean, I still got good advice to go to college because I was the third person to go in my fam. But I remember the, the uh, advice I got was take advantage of all of the resources. Mm-hmm. And then my sister, she was like, yo, she was like, you just got to manage your time. She was like, have fun, mm-hmm. but study hard. She was like, if you go, she was like, if you go to a party, She's like, you gotta remember, am I, do I need to go to this party? And if I'm gonna go to this party, you're gonna be out late. You gotta make sure you get up early and study. <laughs> so you like, you gotta, you gotta be able to make those choices and stuff. Yeah. But um, I did take advantage of, she was like, join clubs. Like I did do all of that, but one thing I didn't do was study abroad. And I had opportunities to do it. Mm-hmm. Like even to this, uh, just a week in Bermuda for my photography class to go. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I really love my school. It was so crunk. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to go nowhere. But in hindsight, I was like, man, I should have, I should have, I should have did it. But that's yeah, because even in college, you have so many things that you want to do. You have classes, you have free requisites, you have things for your major clubs that you're in. So even in college, it's hard to carve out a piece of time to do it. Mm. I definitely felt like my friends and I were we were still making small but significant sacrifices to take away from time in our school that semester and dedicate it to being in another country, Mm -hmm. but it was well worth it. So, yeah. Yeah, That's really dope. I found out too late. It was like, Aww. yeah, my homegirl, she was like, she had went to Brazil. Oh, and, man. And just all these countries. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, all right, is there a person that you look up to who does dope shit? Do you have a mentor? Um, Yeah, I think I have, like, mentors in my mind, people that I study and try to learn from at a distance because I don't know them. Mm-hmm. So those people are like... Uh, to a certain extent like J.J. Abrams who I actually do know um, and I've met and I've like a bit of a rapport with him and his wife because I interned at Bad Robot 
Oh, okay. And um, so you, so you hit that stunt button real quick. Yeah. No, it's not because he's such a normal person. Okay. He's such, I mean, he doesn't feel like a normal person. Okay. Like it's JJ Abrams, but and it's Bad Robot, and he's done so much. Right. But it's normal for me because I literally set out to be in his orbit, and then I made it happen. And it's much easier than you think. Um, before I before I moved to LA to go to film school, um, I was getting bits of information from people about things I should do. Um, and one of those things, just in general, um, was find a person who's doing exactly what you're doing and try to um, figure out how they got there, try to intern for them, work for them, be at their company, or do the things that they did. Mm -hmm. And so, just on the surface level, J.J. Abrams was doing what I wanted to do because he, at the time, he was one of the only people who was working successfully in between both film and television. Mm. A lot of people weren't doing that. Now they are. Everyone's doing it. But he uh, stood out to me because of that. And I, I, he was inspired by um, someone that I am inspired by, Steven Spielberg. So I felt like we had that connectivity where, like... Um, we love the same person and we love the movies of uh, Steven and like um, kind of like the whimsical and like imaginative spirit of uh, an emotional spirit of like Steven's films and I felt like I could see that in JJ's work and so I was like there's just like a path that I would like to follow with him and if anyone is familiar with Bat Robot, you go to their website and it's literally like a landing page with a robot on it. There's no click here for more information. There's no how to contact us. Oh, really? Yes, it's very hard. And I think it's still like that. But at the time, I remember I was working at Essence Magazine and I was like, okay, well, let me just, because I'm ridiculously proactive and like, I'm like, okay, well, at some point I'm going to intern, so let's get us started it now so I'll go to the bad robot site and there's nothing on it nothing and so I was like well that's not gonna work and so um, I've been at film school for a couple of years coming up on the end of it and uh, I asked one of my professors who was also over the kind of internship and professional program and I was like I'd love to intern at Bat Robot do you have any connections and then she sent me an email of a person who was over their internship program I got into the internship um, I was working there and at the time, JJ was filming in London Star um, Wars, so he was never around, um, except for like the very end of my internship. Never really like connected with him or spoke to him at all um, in that time. But his wife, a year later, his wife reached out reached out to me and was like, "Hey, we put on these like this this huge charity with the Children's Defense Fund and." And um, the anchor of the night um, in helping these high school students get college ready and celebrate them and encouraging them. We do these mini films on them. They're about 10 minutes long where we tell everyone in the room everything that they've been through, all the hardships they've had, and why they're so dynamic and amazing and are deserving of everyone's support. And would you want to direct one of those films? And I was like, yes! Mm -hmm. So I directed one. 
and um, I worked with Katie, his wife, on it. And then I remember the night of the gala, I was talking to um, Katie and JJ, and JJ was like, "That that film was extraordinary." And I was like, "Don't lie to me, JJ. I want you to tell me the truth." I was like getting sassy with him, and he was like, "I could use any word, but I chose extraordinary." And I was like, "You did." And um, what was the name of it? Uh, the name. Well, so they're documentaries, so they're oh, not okay. named. Okay, yeah. We'll just uh, we each took a student mm-hmm. so the student that I took one of the reasons Katie reached out to me is because she wanted a black female voice to tell the story of this young black um, female high school student mm-hmm. and so the student I was working with she was in the foster care system almost all of her life um, her mom uh, struggled with schizophrenia and her and her siblings were broken up and she landed in this home finally after a bunch of home that weren't really working out for her. Um, and she landed in this home and was doing really well. And she was going to college. Um, and uh, e- even on top of like being bounced around a lot and separated from her family and moved to another place because they were originally from like Atlanta and now she's in LA. She had like glaucoma in one of her eyes and so she can not really see in one of her eyes and physically it's a little bit affected as well and um, so she struggled with that every day just trying to maintain some sort of like ability to see out of that affected eye and then also hopefully not get her other eye affected so that she would be completely blind mm-hmm. um, so she was just someone who's like super inspirational and I loved her strength and um, I just thought she was really special and I was really happy to be a part of that so so like JJ is definitely like a mentor sort of um, not because like we speak every day or like we have like this like rapport where we like talk a lot but I'm, I'm still able to like study and learn from like everything that he has done and continues to do and um I think that in whatever way they can, they'll be like supportive of me. So um, there's that. And then I actually do have like an actual physical mentor that I just got um, from being in Project Involve because I want to continue to direct. So Millicent Shelton, who's one of the most prolific female directors in television, is my mentor now. Really? Yeah. So That's really dope. Yeah. So I met with her for the first time a couple weeks ago and she's crazy and I love that she's like has this crazy aggressive energy because it's just like mine. So I already feel like we're very strong, opinionated and like energetic women. So there's that. I love I love her energy and I love her strength being in a male dominated industry. And so we talked a lot about how to maneuver sets and experiences as a woman director because she's definitely had her trials and tribulations and so on by so she's telling me like how to handle situations where people aren't respecting you or where you're facing challenges and like the decisions that she's made and they were smart decisions and so I'm already learning so much from her so she's a mentor 
That's really dope. And because I think the funny thing about that is, I, was she on a panel recently somewhere? Maybe. Because I, I remember looking her up and I was just thinking how how dope it was because for, for how like Spike Lee is such this mm-hmm. launching pad for so many people mm-hmm. in film. So, and I, and then like she, I don't know, but I was just thinking about that for some mm-hmm. reason and because Spike has some new stuff coming out mm-hmm. and uh, that's really dope yeah I right. really love her and I'm, I'm glad that like she's helpful to me I want to meet her one day yeah she's great she's great really smart and like works all the time yeah and it was funny because and uh, I'm definitely familiar with her work because she's yeah. doing music videos she used to do music videos yeah and she's from New York so we have that in common and uh, what was really fun about meeting and chatting with her is we talked about like professional stuff and like technical stuff but then I mentioned to her like oh I don't know how I'll be able to have children and do this. She's like, well, I have kids. And she was like, you should come to my house and talk to my kids. And so we walked to her house and I met her twins. And she was like, oh, she has twins. hey, ask, and you, ask my kids how they deal with me being a working mom. And I was talking to her son and he's like, she's always busy. She's always on her computer. Sometimes she's not around because she's traveling a lot, but we do get to spend time together, but she's very busy. That's dope that they had the open dialogue. Like, here, yeah. ask my kids. Yeah. He's like, ask them. <laughs> and they were honest. They were like, she's busy. That's dope that they yeah. had an open dialogue. Yeah, yeah. All right, so how would you define your passion, your yeah. profession? How would you? Um, well, my passion is to tell stories um, that speak to women, first and foremost, mm-hmm. um, and that speak to communities and places where people feel like they're kind of ignored or misrepresented and so to be more specific like like I feel like poor people poor people of color um, people in certain urban environments or even rural environments where like they just their struggles and sacrifices and what makes them kind of like human is sometimes like glossed over or ignored or um, twisted in a way that makes more people makes people feel more comfortable about their situation or simplifies them mm-hmm. so like I, I love the movie like Just Another Girl in the IRT um, I love movies like that and I love all of Spike's um, earlier films because I feel like they had like these complex but just also honest and familiar depictions of black people Mm -hmm. and so if I can do that for my generation of people like growing up in the 90s as like a a black person as like a child of the 90s as like a woman or a man that was in like an urban environment or a poor environment or an environment that um, was like undeniably like just just black um, and full of kind of like challenges and obstacles, but also full of beauty. Mm. Um, 
so yeah, I guess that's my passion to tell those kinds of stories. Um, but then beyond that, I would just like to be an example of someone who can tell all sorts of stories. Um, don't have like many women directors working in like the action space or the superhero space or even sci-fi thriller spaces too much. You don't have women directing films at all really that that many. Um, and so I love to be able to tell those kinds of stories. Like F. Gary Gray, I think, is someone who's transcended as a director and a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to be a woman to do what he's doing and have a blockbuster film. Then I would also love, because I love indie films and I love just small, quiet stories, I would also love to be able to make those stories. Okay. Yeah. And then you talk about the 90s and growing up to the 90s. Let's talk a little bit about that for yes. a bit. Yeah. Because I think it's important at this stage for people to get like a glimpse of how you grew up because that those experiences will uh-huh. help mold you to who you are today. Uh-huh. So you was born in Harlem? Yeah. You was born in Harlem Hospital? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. At the time when I was born, Harlem Hospital was like a horrible hospital. Wow. Yeah, like it just, people go in and not come out on a regular basis. It Dang. just didn't have any level of prestige at all. Like, if you had any sense and you had, like, something really wrong with you, you would travel 20 blocks or 30 blocks, you mm-hmm. know, downtown to go get treated because you're like, you ain't getting help at home hospital at all. So mm-hmm. I was born in, like, Beth Israel. Oh, okay. So, like, I lived on 131st Street and my hospital was on 14th Street. <laughs> so that should tell you. <laughs> so my mother was like, oh, no. She's oh, not gone for Just, I hold the baby until we get down there. Growing up, what elementary school did you go to? So I went to this school called TAG, Talented and Gifted. Oh, okay. It was on the east side and technically what we would call Spanish Harlem. You never went to a regular school. Never went to a regular school. Thank God. So my mom, <laughs> she was she was working in education very early on in my life. And it, she was just always invested in education. Like, Okay, she's got to go to a good school. So she knew that Harlem schools were bad. She, they're, they're at the time. I don't know if it's changed, but at the time in New York, schools are separated by districts. Neighborhoods are separated by this school districts. Yeah. And so my mom would always be like, District five schools ain't shit. Yeah, it's still like that. You yeah. ain't going to no District five school. So she would talk around to some people in the neighborhood, and she came upon this woman um, and her husband and they were like we sent our daughter to this this school on the east side in district 4 and it's for talented and gifted kids and you have to like take a test to get in you gotta do all this stuff to get in it's a free public school but you gotta like get into it and be accepted and like mm-hmm. it's the real deal and so she was like okay well send me the information and so I had to like take a test and I had to see um, psychologists and talk to them for about an hour so they could kind of like see mentally where I was and like how developed I was. And um, after all of that, I was accepted into the school and it was probably the best 
situation that I could ever have had. And like, I'm still friends with my friends from elementary school, and oh, all wow. of us say that TAG was the best foundation for all of us because mm. it's just like the most amazing school ever. Like, it was super diverse. Like, I went to school with people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, so I had some really wealthy kids, and then it was poor kids like me. Had Asian kids, Puerto Rican, Muslim, all faiths, all denominations. Parents did everything from artistry and entertainment life to being doctors and lawyers and educators and um we were like cool nerds and when when you say how diverse it is i feel a lot of people assume that every school is diverse like that in new york but it's not like i mean i used to teach and i remember when my homegirl she's a a dance teacher in uh, sunset park okay and when she started there, they was like, oh, wow, are you from Harlem? You know what I'm saying? Because they didn't see black women like that. And then you're like, what? And it's like, this is New York, this diverse melting pot, whatever, whatever. But it's like, nah, it's still kind of fragmented and, segre- and segregated as you go out the city. Like, even like you talking about districts and stuff. Yeah. But, like, in my school, people travel from Queens and Brooklyn. Um, not so much from Brooklyn, but definitely we had a bunch of people from Queens and like all places in the city. Mm. But usually you're from Queens, you go to a school in Queens. Right. From home, go to a school in home, but not not for this situation. And we were like cool nerds. Like for us, we thought we were cool. Um, our parents, everybody at that school's parents was like, you could tell they were like enforcing their genius at home. Like, you are special. You are great. Mm. You are, you know why you're special? Because you're smart. Like, that's the kind of stuff that they were telling all of us. So when we were in school, we thought we were the shit because we were smart. So like, our competitiveness wasn't around really like clothes or looks. It was around like, test scores Mm. and our teachers would be like okay on this test you'll get extra credit you can get extra 10 points so like if I got like 105 but somebody else got like 107 it would be like teasing because of that like well I got 105 Mm. and they were like well I got 107 so I'm just better than you Mm. and like it sounds like the lamest like little argument it does sound lame (laughs) but that's what like our like teasing and like our kind of like banter was about like knowing things like information was like a commodity like like I had some geeky black boyfriends who were like well do you know what this is have you ever read that book and you're like no and they're like because you're stupid and you don't know how to read that book yet and like you mm. felt so bad because they like knew more stuff than you okay okay yeah so it was like but <laughs> but now I, I was um I remember I was in a public school and a program and stuff and I remember they I had to go I had to leave the school because they were like oh he's not being challenged here and I had that meeting with the psychologists and Mm -hmm. all the teachers do you feel like you've been challenged (laughs) and all that and I'm like yeah I don't want to leave my friends I want to leave the school but I ended up going but what I didn't like about being gifted and talented is did you feel like they used to always give you well you was at a school but I was like 
I, I felt like my experience was they always give me extra stuff to do. Um, but since you were in a whole school of them, yeah. it was like everybody was everybody on the same plane. Stuff to do. Mm. Yeah, I think my. I think from the outside looking in, people thought we had too much stuff to do. Mm. Like, I just recently was talking to someone, and they were like, yeah, I remember um, this one time I got homework on the weekend, and I was so mad. And I was like, oh, wait, you didn't always get homework every weekend? Yeah. And yeah like, what? no. And I was like, wait, so what, what did they do? And he was like, just the weekend was not for homework. It was for relaxation. Like, that was the thought process. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, we had like extra homework on the weekend. Cause they were like, you have two days now to do this work. So we got a lot of homework on the weekend. Yeah. I remember my dad. And like almost every subject. Yeah. Yeah. Every subject. Every subject. And I remember my dad was like, it, it, homework took about two hours every night. And but the nights where I couldn't quite figure stuff out or struggling with it, then it would take sometimes three or four hours, you know, to get through it all. And I remember my dad sometimes would come home and be like, Why do they give them so much homework? Like, you should not have two hours of homework every night. And I was like, Well, that's what they do. Like, they that's what they do. They give hours of homework every night. And he just thought that was like the most ridiculous thing ever. So yeah. But to me it was normal because this is what I thought everybody was doing. Right, right. Yeah. So then you went to LaGuardia. Before that, I went to Manhattan East. Oh, okay. And that was like a predominantly white middle school that, and the drama teacher there was all about getting kids into LaGuardia. Got her, it. her son was Devin Retray. Her name is Miss Retray. Her son is Daryl Retray. Her son was Buzz in Home Alone, the older asshole brother. Okay. And um, she was that that drama program. She was like, by the time you hit eighth grade, she was like, it's all about LaGuardia. It's all about getting in. Here's the strategy for the rest of the year. You're gonna come to my house every other day after school and on the weekends and we're going to rehearse your monologues and that's what we did it was really intense Mm -hmm. and um and she even had this little system this is probably so illegal she even had this little system because so many people from Manhattan East went to LaGuardia so by the time I was there she had spies and she's like this 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 teacher there likes pretty uh, girls of color. So all the black and Puerto Rican girls, I'm gonna make sure you get in front of him to do your monologue. Like that, like she was told that. She was like, so I'm gonna tell my spies over there, the kids, to make sure that they move you to do your monologue in front of him, because he'll like you a lot. And so like she had like a whole covert system. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so I don't, I don't like, think that's illegal. I just it's like yeah, it's like stacking the kind of deck. Yeah. Yeah. And I think by the time I was there, they had like a lot of Manhattanese kids there and they came to just know Mr. Trey's kids from Manhattanese. They just knew like, okay, this is the Manhattanese kids. They're gonna be good, but they're gonna be probably a little bit over-rehearsed and they're probably, you know what I mean? Like they just knew, I guess, 
what to expect to look out for. Yeah, y'all had a rep. We had a rep, yeah. Had a rep. But I got so, in, yeah, so that yeah. was good. And then, and then LaGuardia. How was that? The world famous LaGuardia. Yeah, it was. It was also a really great time for me. Um, I loved it. One of the, also one of the, my education, like whole pathway, is like I'm always eternally grateful for it, and it's really helped me as a person. So being at LaGuardia, being at a performing arts school, it's also what I would wish for, like any kid that like is artistic in any way. Whether you actually want to make a career out of whatever your art is, that's neither here nor there. But being in a performing arts school environment is always going to make you a better person. Mm-hmm. Um, being around artistic kids was really fun because we were all the same. We we're all the stars of our junior high schools. We were all a little bit unguarded and in, in different in our way of thinking and expressing ourselves, which maybe in other environments made people judge us or think of us as weird or different, but at LaGuardia, it was like, okay to just say and do certain things. You would be accepted. You would find your clique. So that's always good because high school can be so brutal. And so you want to be somewhere where like there's a little less judgment, you know? Mm. Um, so there was that. Even like, this is so weird, but but I was just having a conversation with someone about like sex and like when you're young and like at LaGuardia it was like you could just have conversations like yes oral sex have you tried it you should try it <laughs> in other schools I think girls were like that's dirty and wrong but like at LaGuardia they were like so this is what you should do this is how you should do it and I feel like you just aren't able to have those kinds of conversations in other environments yeah and I think that's important yeah because it's like people are doing these things. Yeah. People are having sex. People are doing trying drugs. drugs. People are getting in fights. Mm-hmm. And, do- and if you don't talk about it, then yeah. it's like, how can you like work through it mm-hmm. and be able to come up with solutions and mm-hmm. be informed? Like you don't want to be informed the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, and so yeah. I think that's that's really dope. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's also really competitive. Everyone was always talking shit about each other, like, well, she can't really sing that well. She's not going to get into the spring whatever concert. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not really that great of an actor because he's always doing this thing with every monologue, with every scene he does, so he needs to work on that. And so, like, that competitiveness which I think only adds to your like strength as a person to just be in an environment like that um yeah. helpful yeah yeah cause you have people everyone's a star right on day one until you get there and you're like oh my god that guy's really good that girl's really amazing she's really dynamic and whatever discipline it was so then you're like immediately intimidated like oh I thought I was good but these people are 10 times better Mm -hmm. so now I gotta step it up and people did some people stepped up some people kind of just stayed you know mediocre um and some people surprised other people with different things that they were able to add to um, there are along the way um, and then you always have some people who are like I'm done with this I don't want to play this instrument anymore that shit fucking sucks like and they're like I just want to be a regular person now yeah, yeah. so you always have those people 
So you always have the people who are like, and now I'm going to go out to Hollywood and live in my car and chase my dreams. And a lot of those people make it, depending on what you think making it is, they're not like Halle Berry famous, but they're working. They're working consistently. Yeah. They have a place yeah. to stay. And exactly. They, and they're good. So I'm, I'm like inspired by those people who... Which is very important, I feel, because mm-hmm. I think people don't as, don't aspire to be a character actor as much. Mm-hmm. They want, a lot of people want to be the star, but no, nah, but you need to have a good ensemble like cast. Mm-hmm. And they do well. very well. Very well. Like Louise Guzman. Yeah. Like he's not... He's not the star. He's the star. But anyone would kill for his career if they had any sense. Right? So good and so long. Yeah. yeah so that was one of the things they taught us in the drama department. In any conservatory or school of that nature you always get those classes at the end that are like preparing you for your career and they get professionals to come in who are working and tell you their stories and how they you know landed their gigs and then they just have lots of classes where people talk about this is what you should be doing and I think one of the most important things I learned is it's important to be a working actor and that means that you are constantly getting paid in some way, shape, or form for your art. Whether it's an off-Broadway off play, whether it's a seasonal Walmart commercial, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, a recurring featured role or Law & Order SVU, none of these things are necessarily, like, your big star breaks, but they are respectful like well respected and like dignified ways as an actor to make your living and if you can continue to book gigs like that um, you should feel proud of yourself and you should feel accomplished and you're not going to be Halle Berry or Denzel Washington or Kevin Spacey or Tom Cruise there's only one of those um, and so the it, if that happens for you fine but that should never be your goal your goal should be Okay, what are you doing this week? Um, in Shakespeare and Park. Okay, what are you doing next week? I am uh, working on a web series. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that because I have this conversation kind of frequently. Um, it's so important to be work because, like, if I'm working on something, like, in our field when we're out, and then people always say, what are you working on? Mm-hmm. That's a horrible question. And I, yeah, but it's always <laughs> asked. Yeah, too. but it's the question to ask, and I never want to be like, oh man, I'm a. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I don't. I always want to have something that I'm yes, working on. Yeah. And even if I don't tell them everything I'm working on, I at mm-hmm. least like, oh yeah, I'm working on this project and then I'm working on the script. But mm-hmm. should definitely be always working on something, yes. like you said. Also, getting paid to do mm-hmm. something and just doing quality work. Like I feel like it's a muscle. And I feel like some people think some people think so highly of themselves and what they should be doing that they turn down because let me edit what I just said sometimes you don't get paid sometimes you're working for free but mm-hmm. you're still working yeah, right yeah. like how many stu- students I went to USC you still, I had lots of actors in my films I did not pay them but they're still they cultivating well they're still working you're still yeah. cultivating your craft yeah should be about the work um, paid or not unpaid yeah. you should be able to say I'm in something I'm going to class I'm working on something you know, um, so that was like the biggest lesson that I think 
um, was useful to me. Um, but I'm still someone who has like big dreams. Like I think I don't ever want people to think that when someone says that or if I say that, and that means you shouldn't aspire to be a Hollywood star. Or I don't want to say that that you shouldn't aspire to be the greatest at your craft. Still aspire to be the greatest. Yeah, I feel that, but I also feel like it's okay not to be the lead. Yeah. It's it's it's, yeah. it's really like about doing great work or whatever mm-hmm. project that you're in. Yeah. I think a lot of people, um, sometimes they get caught up and like, oh, I don't have enough lines in this. I was like, but whatever lines you get, yeah. kill that. Kill that shit. Viola Davis had two lines in doubt. You're you right. know? Yeah. She did not have a lot going on in doubt. But it was a game changer for her. Yeah, because a lot of people will turn down these roles because, like, oh, yeah. I don't. They look at, they quantify the importance of mm-hmm. uh, of a role mm-hmm. by lines, not by yeah performance. Yeah. So yeah. All right. So Laguardia cultivated your competition. Yeah. And then and creativity. Yeah. I think it's dope because I have like met like some really cool creative people. And then they're like, oh, yeah, with them going. I want them going. Yeah, that's a. I feel like I was also throughout my life, I'm, I'm a part of so many clubs, mm. so many mafias that <laughs> um, I always have a friend no matter where I go. So, went to LaGuardia High School. There's lots of well-respected LaGuardia graduates out here in the world. So, everyone loves LaGuardia. Everyone knows LaGuardia. So yeah, I, I just don't know how to pronounce the first name to Fiorello. Um, and then I went to Rutgers, which is whatever. Rutgers is like whatever. But after Rutgers, I was accepted into the NBC Page program. And that's Pages. Right. That is right. Pages are united out here in these streets. And that's where you met Gary, right? Yes, that's where I met Gary Hamilton. Shout out to Gary Hamilton. Yay, Gary! That's where I met a lot of my friends that I still have right now. Got it. To this day, and will have for the rest of my life. Um, and the Page program, I still stumble upon people, even out here on the West Coast, and that they either know about the program and they're like, oh, you are Page? Because they know how hard it is to get into it, and they know it's an industry kind of like like staple mm-hmm. um, or they were pages you know mm-hmm. and now they're still in the industry and they're the so like people that I was in the page program with some of them are producers on Today Show it's a big deal yeah. you know some of them are producers on Nightline some of them have left NBC and now they work in other segments of entertainment but all of them are like killing it yeah, yeah. my friend Spoon he is a MSNBC Fandango correspondent you know that's a big Big deal. Yeah, that's like, dope. I know these people from the page program. We were dressed in ugly new suits, giving people tours <laughs> of like NBC studios, you know, um, which is like such a such a typical like after college grind. Mm. You got paid ten dollars an hour. Really? Yeah, ten dollars an hour. Um, in New York, it's impossible to live off of. Yeah, it's fine. Anyone? Yeah, because you said ten dollars an hour. That's that's McDonald's. Right. Even at that time, which was years ago, 
I remember when I first heard about the PAGE program, I was interning at NBC, and they were like, what are you doing after graduation? You should think about the PAGE program. And I was like, okay, well, what, what's, what is it? And they were like, so you do this, you do that, you give tours, you get assignments, you get to know everybody around the building, they try to help you get a job, and you get paid $10 an hour. And I'm like this, I'm like the money queen, right? Like, I'm like that person that always had, like, mad money, because I had, like, dope jobs and stuff after school and high school. Mm-hmm. And I got paid more than $10 an hour in uh, high school. Oh, okay, you was pushing weight on the side. First of all, no. The statutes of limitations no, have uh, no, expired. They, they never expired. <laughs> I was having, I had. You don't gotta say it. You don't gotta say it. No, I you will say because I've always been a leader. I worked after school at United Jewish Appeal Telemarketing. United Jewish Appeal is a philanthropic Jewish organization that funds lots of Jewish causes and people. And. Um, so we had like this telemarketing thing where you call up people and ask them for their yearly donation. And so I worked there one summer. And after that summer, you know, it was coming to an end. The guy who ran it was like, I was 16. And he was like, do you want to be a supervisor? He didn't say, do you? He said, I'm making you a supervisor. Hmm. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, people aren't going to like it because you're officially the youngest supervisor in the program. Hmm. But I remember his advice. I'll never forget his advice. He said, it's going to be tough. Be a bitch. And I was like, oh my God. And it was tough because I was supervising mm. people that were older than me who had been there longer than me. Mm. It was mostly a job for like high school students and like college students um, with a few kind of like adults who were using it as like a side hustle, but they were young adults. Like they were either really young or really old. Mm. And um, so it was very intimidating. I had to like listen to people's calls, critique people's calls, fire people, hire people. It was huge responsibility. At 16. At 16. At 16. And I was a supervisor. Like my friends still like joke and like Timmy was my supervisor and she was mean. She was nasty. She used to listen to my calls and tell me not to do things or she was gonna, you know, do stuff to me. So that was funny. So I was a supervisor and first of all, I made less money as supervisor. When I was a caller during the summer was the best time because they kind of reshuffled the cards, they called them. So it was like a brand new start of the year calling fresh new donors who gave lots of money so you was just calling people and left and right they were like yep 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 mm, so they had like okay. a bonus system so I made sometimes I would bonus a hundred dollars a day on top of my check oh, okay. so I was like I'm in the money <laughs> right that guap. yeah 16 I was making a lot of freaking money and then as a supervisor I didn't bonus but I made 12 dollars an hour so I was still making a lot of money so like when they said at the page program, I was making ten dollars an hour. At first I was like, oh hell no, no, nah. I'm about to be a college grad. Like I don't know if you know what that means, but that means I'm gonna have like a degree. So like I just can't be taking any old job. Like right. trying to make like a hundred thousand or out the gate, like yo, more, yeah, you know? yeah. I was definitely one of them college grads who had no idea of like what kind of money is. <laughs> oh yeah, life comes at you fast. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, yeah. I'm trying to make like six figures, <laughs> not $10,000. So right, like, thank God. I still, I thought about it more and I heard about it more and I asked more questions. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna change my mind. And they were like, really? It was my like supervisor. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go out for the paid program. And so I did, it was the best decision ever. 
So I did that for a year, graduated, didn't have a job. I was so stressed. And um, I, well, this is an interesting story. So right before I ended the PAGE program, still looking for a job, nothing quite was hitting it. And uh, my friend who had just left the program was like, freelancing for MTV being like a PA. And so the awards, that year they were doing the MTV Be Amazing in New York. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, hey, uh, they probably need lots of PAs for that. Like, and so she was like, yeah, yeah, they hire, they're hiring like a lot of like little PAs to help out because it's busy. So like, here's the information. So I filled it out and then they called me and they were like, yeah, so we're gonna hire a bunch of freelancers for this whole like two weeks leading up to the awards. And um, th- what we need are drivers. We need drivers to drive people around. And so I was like, okay. And so uh, it paid you a daily rate of like $100, $150. So I was like, okay. So I was able to take off time from the page program and like work that freelance job. And I was like, hopefully I'll meet some people, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So like the whole week I did nothing. Like me and this like older Hispanic lady who was just cruising around town in these like trucks, like not sitting around waiting for them to call us to do stuff with have shit to do the whole week. We went shopping at Ann Taylor Rockefeller. Like, we were just, <laughs> we, they had to, like, so these trucks were like ethanol fueled. Mm-hmm. So we had to go to the Bronx one day and like fuel it at these special fueling stations. Then we stopped off. It was her hood. So we're like, let's get a pedicure. Like we were not doing shit all week, right? You were getting that money though. Yeah, we was just getting the money, <laughs> not doing shit. They didn't have shit for us to do like maybe once or twice that week. We had to actually do something. So the day of the awards, it was it was for real game time. We had shit to do that day. Mm-hmm. So everyone was getting assigned a person to like drive for the entire of that night and so everybody's getting celebrities so I go to the office this one got Chris Brown this one got Andre 3000 this one got Missy so I'm like yo who am I get like I'm gonna be driving around somebody like a celebrity like who am I get who am I get and they're like all right you got Tim Ross the SVP of marketing for MTV <laughs> and I was like <laughs> like why y'all even everybody else celebrities and I got some business like I don't want to mm. be running around with the celebrities so they was like yeah this is who you got this is his address so I get in this big old truck and I go downtown to his house and um, he's just coming back for a run so he comes upon the truck and he's like oh this must be my, my ride so he peeks in and he's this like older man and um, he's like this older gay man. He's like super nice. And he goes, hey, are you my ride? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I just got back from a run. I'm going to go upstairs and shower. I'll be ready in a little bit. And I was like, okay. He's like, you want to come upstairs? And I was like, no, no, it's 
totally fine. And I was like, well, actually, I need to use the bathroom. So I go to his apartment. He's like, yes, come. He's super nice, right? Mm-hmm. So he's he has a guest with him. He comes down. They're all set, dressed. So I drive him to the award show. We're cracking jokes in the car the whole time. He's the funniest person ever. I remember one of the jokes was we're right at the, the Rockefeller Center and Radio Center, Radio City Music Hall. And uh, this is like long white limo. And he's like, who the fuck would arrive in a limo? This is so. 1998 <laughs> and then like he goes probably Paula Abdul and like I was just like these people are so funny and like they're like who's going to prom in this limo and I'm like yo these people are hilarious who like, got out you remember we didn't even see oh okay like, sorry, you just saw it yeah. at that point we were like who Levels are so 90s. This is so 90s, right? Yeah. So he goes to the award show. Uh, then it's party time. So I pick him up. He wants to go to Justin Timberlake's party. I take him to Justin Timberlake's party, sitting outside the party, waiting for him. And I wait for like an hour. He comes back with his guest, and he's like, all right, let's head home. Try to start the car. The car doesn't start. All week long, all of these cars, they haven't worked out the kinks of this different fuel system. So, like, they had a fleet of 60, and, like, 10 of them have broken down. And this is probably the 11th one, right? So I'm, like, freaking out. But he was the person who ate the deal for the cars, right? Like, it was a part of this, like, sponsorship deal. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. So he was a alarmed and upset and he was mad and he was like I'm emailing GMC first thing in the morning this is fucking ridiculous I ain't this deal with them they supposed to you know so I'm like getting a sense of what he does for a living and um, so we had to like basically they had to I think get in a whole nother car someone came and picked them up to take them home so I'm like okay another car is coming to get you guys and he was like okay so we sitting there should ask him for his info and I was like so nervous mm. and so I said do you have a card and he looked at me and he was like hmm like he was impressed I asked him for his card right because at this point he just knows I'm like some black girl driving him around he right. doesn't know anything about my situation or who I am or anything so he's like hmm he was so impressed with me. He just gave me a look and he said, yes, I do. So he gave me his car. So the night ended, I go back to working as a page and I email him, never hear from him. So I end the page program. I'm stressed all the way out. Like, oh my God, I need a job. Oh my God. And I'm interviewing for a bunch of jobs. I'm temping. And um, I get an email from someone who's his assistant one day, like almost two months later. And they're like, hey, Tim wanted to catch up with you. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay. So that's all it was. Like, he just wants to catch up with you. So I go into MTV. And we're just shooting the shit. We're talking about all kinds of just football and nothing. And then he goes, so a court, they need a coordinator in my department. And so um, I want you to talk to the director in my department. She's right over here. And it was literally like, wait, what? 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 And so he's like, yeah, she's right over there. So it's so good seeing you, girl. See you later, girl. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh my God, he this is turned into a job interview. And he was like, off you go. <laughs> yeah. And like right before that, he was like, do you know what we do? And I was like, he was like, this is integrated marketing. And I was like, oh, and I said something. He was like, that's sort of it. And then he like further explained what they did. And he was like, and we're looking for a coordinator. So bye, go talk to them now. So I was like, I don't even know what they do. And now I'm going to talk to this girl about what. <laughs> so I go in and I interview with them. And I ended up getting the job. Oh, dope. So you was a marketing coordinator? Yeah. Dope. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how you got to MTV. That's kid. how I got to MTV. Mm-hmm. I was driving somebody in a broke down truck. That's such a great story, especially how you, <laughs> especially how you talked about the celebrities at first. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I want a celebrity, but yes. if you had got what you wanted, yeah, you know that when you got a job, yeah. So yeah, I always tell people that story because the whole way through, I was like flinging it all wrong in my mind, like mm-hmm. in a certain way, like I wouldn't celebrity. Yeah. I was disappointed when I got him. The stars was aligned for you already. It was already aligned. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really thinking about my asking for his car. It was literally like that moment in a movie that like changes everything. Mm -hmm. Because I was like terrified for some reason. So now I always think about that when I'm around somebody and I just go for it. Yeah. But they're going to say no. And if they do, at least you asking and not thinking like, dang, I should have, yeah. I should have. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So MTV. Mm-hmm. What was after MTV? Essence. Okay. So Essence is after MTV. Yeah. And you was a big wig at Essence. Oh, God. No. Because I remember when I was doing, <laughs> <laughs> doing work at, uh, who, who put me on? Artesia. Yeah. Artesia had put me on. And um, she was like, you know, Timby up here. I was like, what? <laughs> so I'm like, where's she at? And I'm like, okay. So I'm like looking at the desk. I'm like looking because it's like the open floor plan. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, where? where? <laughs> so it's like, oh, come in. <laughs> come into my office. <laughs> hey, oh, oh, look, there's emails. So I was like, oh, that was cool. And I was like, hey, Timmy is a. Essence executive. You got yeah, your, you had your sweet could close your door. I had a door. It's not a game office. out here. I felt good by myself. Yeah, Essence, that was, yeah. that was, that was cool. Essence was great. And I remember, um, at, at, at the, I think that same year is when I saw you at Urban World when we saw that uh, Nelson George film. Yeah, that was good, right? Yeah. What was that name? Uh, Brooklyn Bohine. There you go. You mm-hmm. got that razor sharp memory. I do. I have pretty good memory. And then, um, was it Chris Rock? Chris Rock was there. Uh, and Spike was Spike there. Was there. There was a lot of people there. Yeah. And I, that's when you had told me you was like, oh, I'm leaving Essence because mm-hmm. I'm going to USC. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And it kind of dawned on me because like I knew you, I like knew you was doing marketing mm-hmm. and, and like doing entertainment stuff. But then you was like, oh, it's like filmmaking, which is right up my alley and I was like oh really and I was like very intrigued and then um 
You got out here. Mm-hmm. Doing your thing. Timmy, like, was showing me the ropes. I mentioned you in the, uh, a couple other podcasts because, mm-hmm. like, you were, like, name-dropping the people I should meet. He was like, you should meet Steve. You should yeah. meet Steven. He was like, oh, Vivita. Have you met Vivita yet? Oh, yeah, actually. Mm-hmm. So you was like, um, yeah. who else did I meet? I met a lot of people, like, like that first week when I got out here. He, yeah. like, took me to, like, we did it, like, four parties <laughs> in one night. That was funny. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. Yeah, we did go. We did party hop. That's probably the only time ever in LA I party hop. And of course, it's with Emil. Hey. When we like to party in New York. Yeah. We had a little bit of that. Yeah, that's what I, yeah. I tell people all the time about New York. When I go back, I plan to go to one thing and I'm mm-hmm. end up at three other events. Yeah. It's always like that. Yeah. So, USC. And um, Ashley gave me a lot of insight about mm-hmm. how. And she was like the. the uh, sort of like the matriarch I feel Mm -hmm. because how she was like bringing everyone together Mm -hmm. and having you know get togethers at her house and stuff and like really like being about community Mm -hmm. Um, and she told me how y'all y'all re re um, re restarted What's the right word for it? The the black, uh, what's it called? What? The black movie union, what's it called? Oh, um, African American Cinema Society. Yes, excuse me. Mm-hmm. African American Cinema Society. Y'all revamped John, it. John Singleton. Right, and y'all re- revamped it. Yeah, John Singleton initiated that organization at USC, and uh, me and Ashley took it over, you know, um, when we got there. And... So, is that like you were satisfied with your decision to go to USC? Very. Not NYU? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or Columbia. Okay. Yeah. Those are the three you applied to? Uh-huh. Okay. And I got into Columbia. Uh, NYU, they wanted to send me to that Singapore program, which, like, literally two years later, like, they got rid of. So, I'm glad I didn't do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know some people who did that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. uh, so I was happy that I came to USC because the rationale there was Hollywood is where it's at if you want to be in the film industry so you need to be there so, so what, was the, what was the first film you directed them films uh what's the first video project that you <laughs> spearheaded and executed oh lord well you gotta hit the ground running at you have seen the production program and so they have you do this like silent movie that's five minutes long okay so i did one of those which is interesting hold on what was your major at rutgers uh communications journalism okay. mass media okay yeah. cool. me too and uh so that film literally shoot you have to do everything yourself you have to shoot it, edit it, like everything. And I was like, I'm quitting and coming home. Like I was just like so frustrated. Why? why what happened? Um, just just overwhelmed with having to like shoot it myself and not being like super technically adept. And um, I was just being a drama queen too. Like one of the shots, I like the sound wasn't on, and I was like, that's it. I'm a failure. I didn't have my sound on. Like that's that. LaGuardia competition. <laughs> I was so like, oh my 
god, this is horrible. Uh, but I got over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're, and then like, but by the end of that semester, I made a film that everyone loved. And um, which one was that? It was like this film about this like geeky black guy who was on his way to a job interview, and like comedy ensued, and like disaster struck at every every turn. He missed his bus. He ran into a group of thugs. Mm. Like, and then at the end, it was heartwarming because he had a total messed up day. Never made it to his job interview. And then he wanders into a church and like this homeless man like gives him some words of encouragement. And he's kind of like the magical Negro because yeah. when he turns to leave, he looks and the homeless man has disappeared. <gasps> yes. Oh, shit. So I was like, was he ever really there? Or did God send Mm. I feel better about myself. Okay. It was like a cute little film. Okay. And I was like actually really satisfied with that. It sounds endearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like um that was cool. And then the next semester that you do five oh eight, anyone who's familiar with USC knows that that is like the worst semester ever. You do three films and you all rotate. It's like you sign to a trio and everyone directs, edits, shoots and um and the sound so you just rotate so like if I'm directing this time then like one of my group members is the shooter yeah. another one of my group members is doing sound and editing and then it just rotates yeah. and like they assigned you arbitrarily so anytime you assign to a group it's like some shit's gonna go there yeah. so every semester there's like friendships are like broken people have shouting matches and try to kill each other and I looked up. None of that happened because says you. No, it didn't. Oh, what? It didn't. Everybody First loves Timby. I was in a duo because we had a group member drop out, like of school because of like issues they were having. So that already cut the drop with that, right? Mm-hmm. Having to deal with with another person, and we were really good friends. Now she she's become one of my best friends ever. She's a uh, a DP and director. Um, she's from. China. Her name is Guan Chi, and um, she's arguably one of the best DPs in our whole cohort. Shout out to Guan Chi. Yeah, one of the best DPs ever. And um, we were just like sisters. Like we were just very like, mm-hmm. hey girl, let's do like. Because some people were like, okay, I'm editing now, and then you would go and you would try to like touch the mouse, and they'd be like, I am the editor. <laughs> Like it was. I am the captain now. I am the captain now, and so between with us, it was just like, okay, well, you want to do this? Okay, what you want to? You know, like we were just so whatever about everything, and so. um, Okay, you found a kindred spirit. Yeah. All right. So your thesis film. Mm, I didn't really do a thesis. I did a, I took a class and people, people who take that class, they kind of use it to make like one last little film, you know? Okay. We scam the system. Mm. So I did that in that film. I was able to submit to festivals doors and it did pretty well. Okay. Yeah. That was that one. Yeah. Okay. So only light was what? Only light was a 546. So it's like an advanced project and it's like the holy mecca of like production classes that you so everyone can't take that class? No. I mean, yes and no. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a class that is very much set up like Hollywood. Oh, uh, okay. So like, 
they ask for everyone to submit it. Like anyone can submit a script. You can be from the writing conversation, you submit a script, and anyone can submit a directed reel. So they kind of start with those two things. So they whittle the scripts down to about like 30 scripts or 20 scripts, and they whittle the directing reels to about 10 directors. And then it becomes like a free for all where like writers are connecting with directors and like they're choosing each other. Like, I want you to direct my script. Oh, God. And, um, and then once those connections are made, then they go out and they find a producer. Hey, would you want to produce this? So it's like a, a meat market for about a week. Oh. So then after that. It's like the what, Wall Street floor. Yeah. Right? You work with this. You work with this. Yeah. Oh, got it. Then it becomes 10 groups of three. And they assign a Friday. You, you sign up four times from like 8 a.m. to like like 4 p.m. And everyone just goes in one right after another and pitches their project to a panel of faculty and students. And then at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock that Friday, you look at your email and you see who, which three projects have been announced. Mm. And they announce the three projects via email. And those are the three projects that will go into production that next semester. So it's a really competitive class to kind of like get into. And then everything else just falls in line where like you just get in where you fit in. So you try to like be a production designer on the team, one of the teams, um, a soundie, a DP, so on and so forth. And, um, and so I wrote one film, Only Light, that was produced um, and directed by Evita and that made it into 546. And the first film that I did, that was a 546 film, I produced it. It's called Present Trauma. And it's like, it's like one of the holy grails of 546, they say. Really? So, so it was so well done. Yeah, I remember. Right yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. I think I have the DVD. Yes, you do. <laughs> like they teach that they use it as a teaching really tool. yeah Dang, you a trailblazer I'm yes you're supposed I mean, to say yeah I, I ain't no cause all I did <laughs> was just try to make it happen for the director right you just like I, I made the movie needed. I yeah, was just yeah. like well okay let me make this happen for you executing the idea yeah so. alright yeah present trauma is dope yeah I watched most of your um your stuff, not not the stuff that you like did mm-hmm. early on. Oh, don't watch that. Don't watch <laughs> you are so horrible, those films. Oh man, some of those. I feel the same way. Like even when you were talking, like I didn't go to film school, but I took a, a TV and film production class, uh-huh. and we had to make a silent film, oh, and then God. we had to make a commercial, and we had to do, and we had to rotate mm-hmm. the different roles. I was like, oh okay, even though I just took a class, mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't an all out program. I was like, but it was kind of a they was trying to I guess truncate the mm-hmm. that type of thing to yeah. a to a, a that few classes. That was so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah, I yo, my first one was, was really bad oh too. Oh my god! Like it was like the editing and the it was just like so crazy. It was and it, so bad. And then I watched it because I think sometimes. I, I was like kind of jaded or not even jaded but kind of delusional because mm-hmm. I, I was so proud that I did it yes not that it was actually of quality <laughs> and then I watched it later and I was like yo this is terrible oh. so what I ended up doing is I like remade that same idea uh-huh. with what I learned after I took yeah. some classes and then I like 
then I was like, oh, okay, now I kind of yeah. like know what I'm doing, but yeah. I definitely know the know the feeling. So you know, you know what my teacher, my professor said, but that Silentville, he said, this is such a backhanded compliment. He said, when we watched it. You had one of the best scripts. Now your visual filmmaking needs to catch up to your writing. Mm. So, That's very tactful, though. It was. That's right? extremely tactful. Because on one hand, I was like, "Well, I'm one of the better writers in the class," but on the other hand, I was like, "Still need to work on visually executing." Except so, check us out next week for part two. I know you ain't gonna let this shit go down like this, nigga. I'm here these niggas in the club, nigga, signing like you, nigga. Bite your motherfucking ass, little bite your motherfucking style, nigga. What's going on, nigga? You better check these motherfucking niggas, man. Real fuck with real niggas. And these niggas ain't real out here on these motherfucking streets, nigga. Especially these fuck ass niggas, nigga, man. Last time I checked, I was the man on these streets. They call me Residue, I leap, blow on these beats. I got diarrhea flow, now I shit on niggas. Even when I'm constipated, I still shit on niggas. Got some super friends in the Legion of Doom. They blowing purple shit, they keep me high like the moon. I'm an affiliate, I know hit me. I'm a hater like you. Fuck my wrist, nigga. Nigga, sneak this. Ain't how we play, no fuck with mine, get your drama like a DJ.